Hey, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. So excited to share this message with you. The title of the message, um, I've changed the title a little bit, but it's still the same of what I originally had given David. The, the title I gave David for it was No Surrender to Evil, and we're still there. But I want to focus on a, an aspect of not surrendering to evil, and the particular thing is not losing heart, right? You'll discover in the text, when you lose heart, sometimes it is you actually give yourself over to evil. There's actually several things you give yourself over to when you lose heart, but just in our text. So our, our title today is Not Losing Heart, Part 1, um, and um, I'm excited to share this with you today. Um, I hope the Lord used it in your life. Um, I know He's used it in mine. Would you go to the Scriptures with me? That'd probably be helpful. Go to Second Corinthians. We're studying through this book of the Bible. If you're a guest with us today, we're studying through this book. Uh, I don't know what week we are on of this series now, but... The title of the message series is The Gospel for the Week. The Gospel for the Week, the whole book. That's the theme. So not losing heart, part one. If you'll pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says this. But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, if it were, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. For God has said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray over this. We, we really do need your word. We need it to lead our families. We need it to, um, to, to, to disciple our children. We need it to witness the good news. We need it to rehearse the good news of the gospel in our own lives. We need it as we care for each other as we encourage each other, as we bring correction to each other, as we ask for forgiveness, as we grant forgiveness, as we look at the bigness of our own sin so that we can look at others' sins as specks, so that we can enjoy your words, so that we can glorify you, so we can delight in you, so that we can prioritize a life that glorifies God and not self. Lord, we need your word. We need it this morning. Would you... Would you be gracious to us and merciful to deliver it today? Would you let the words that I say be exactly what the original would be with the intent of the author to the original recipients through the Spirit of God? And may we capture great application as well. That it would, it would cause a change in our life today. That we would think differently and worship differently as response to your text. Let us treat this as holy clear out the clutter of our minds, whether we need to put our phones on airplane mode or 
whatever we got to do to give clarity to the Word of God, help it, help us. And bless the rest of our time. We'll sing more. We'll have a meal here later on. We'll sing. We'll, we'll testify to what God is doing. We'll have a time of building up each other. So be with all this time. It's sacred. It's holy. Your body is gathered for a good reason. So do this, please. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. Be seated. Thank you so much. Have you ever lost heart? You ever feel like you're in that place in life where you just lost heart? Right. Now, this is part one of lose heart, though, in not next week, but the week after. We'll talk more about losing heart. There's other passages in Corinthians later on about losing heart. But we'll talk specifically in this passage about losing heart. Part one, not losing heart. What does it mean to lose heart? Well, when you look right here, he says in chapter four, verse one, we do not lose heart. What does that mean? Well, to lose heart means to be discouraged, to lose enthusiasm, to give up. Ever felt that before? Ever felt that? Get tired of something. Just get tired. Give up. Discourage. Now, originally, uh, the title of this uh, really had the idea that of no surrender to evil, and that's still a good title. But I kind of want to give it a different title about losing heart because I think that ties to the text really easy. If there was one guy... In the Bible, that I think, man, this guy should have just packed it up and lost heart. I mean, I know you're not supposed to be discouraging when you're a pastor, right? But let's just be honest. If you've ever taken a good, solid inventory of Paul, this is a guy that sometimes you're just like, okay, dude, it's okay to quit. You know, like, man, I understand. Why don't you hand in the resignation letter? Because you have been through some junk. And, And in case you don't know... The book that talks about most of the junk he went through is this actual book of 2 Corinthians. So Paul says, I don't lose heart. And there's a part of me, because I'm a human being, we all knew that, right? Right? You know pastors are human beings. There's a part of me that thinks, man, how did he not lose heart? Let me just, let's just flip through 2 Corinthians, right? And I just want to read a couple passages and then we'll come back to this text. So, if, you're in, if you've got your copy of God's Word, 2 Corinthians. By the way, I'm using the Legacy Standard Bible, um, you know, so I'm glad to have it, glad to use it here this morning. That's what I'm using. Uh, last week, I had to use my ESV Bible because for the second time, my LSV Bible broke and I had to have it rebound. Now I've got this nice kind of black covered cloth leather that I'll probably, or not cloth leather, cloth it. I'll probably break in another week or two, so... First Corinthians, I'm second, we're going to be all in Second Corinthians. Look at Second Corinthians 1, verse 5 through 6. He says this. For just as the sufferings of Christ, what does he say? Abound to us. So also our comfort abounds through Christ. But whether we are afflicted is for your comfort and salvation. Now there's some good parts to that, but also affliction, abounding, the the... I mean, verse 5, the sufferings of Christ abound to us. I don't like those kind of phrases. Do you? Abound to us? I mean, I like the sufferings of Christ in the sense that it's given me salvation, but his sufferings abounding in my life? Now look at verse 8 of that same chapter. For we not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that came to us in Asia. This is verse 8 of that chapter. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Yikes! Now, how does this dude say we don't lose heart when this kind of junk is going on? 
that we even despaired even to, what does it say, church? Live. Can you imagine that? We despaired to live. Even we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. People sometimes have said, God will never put more on you than you can handle. That is not true. Sometimes God does actually put more on you than you can handle. Now, there's never too much sin on you that you can't say no to sin. That's the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But actually, we find Paul saying we were, man, it, it, looked, it felt like God put more on us. Now, you'll find in the overall study of 2 Corinthians, in the end, you find that the weakness that he experienced was actually an opportunity to depend on the strength of God. But, man, Paul says, we do not lose heart. And some parts of me go, man, this guy went through a lot. But that's not it. Go over to chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. We're not going to look at that. We'll look at the, the next message, but just to read it. He says in chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, In every way afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, Struck down but not destroyed. Now, there's some positive he's talking about there. But there's also some some pretty bad things that happened there. Now, go over to chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. I just ask myself, how does this dude not lose heart after going through some of these things? Now, look at verse 4 of chapter 6. But in everything, commending ourselves as ministers of God. Remember, in the context of this book, he's having to constantly defend his ministry. The false teachers had said, if Paul was such a... If Paul was so... Um, instrumental and God was using Paul, he wouldn't suffer. So he has to make a defense. So verse four, look what he says. In much perseverance and afflictions and distress and hardships and beatings and imprisonments and disturbances and labors and sleeplessness and hunger. Just describing some of the weaknesses he went through, right? Pretty bad stuff. And this dude tells us, we do not lose heart. I don't know about you, but you let me go without enough sleep. I'm going to, I'm just going to feel like, God, why have you cursed me? You ever been there in the middle of the night? It's two in the morning. You wake up and you can't go back to sleep. And you're just thinking like, Lord, what have I done? Let me go back to sleep. Have, am I the only person that's got like this? Okay. Are y'all, are y'all awake today? Y'all alive? Y'all good? Y'all good? Can I get amen? Okay. If you need some coffee, Jason has made some killer coffee out there, right? You kind of crank it up a little bit. I mean, just in case you don't know, he just, he just, it's just basically cappuccino, right? He just tries to, <laughs> that's not true. I'm just joking. Now go to chapter 11. Boy, this one really gets at you. <laughs> now, once again, he's having to make all this defense because it really, and by the way, this smacks of this whole prosperity gospel junk that goes around here of if if you do right, then God will give you the blessings, right? All the time, right? That, that, um, and Paul says, and the false, the false teachers were saying, if Paul was so blessed and God was using Paul, he wouldn't suffer like he did. Paul actually made a defense and said, because of my sufferings, I depend on the strength of Christ so much more. In fact, that does give authenticity to my ministry. It, it's, um, it's paradox to what everybody else would say. Now look in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as if insane. I so more. He hates he's having to defend himself, but he does. But look what he says. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, and beatings without number. Beatings without number. That's crazy. And you say you don't lose heart? In frequent danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, saved one. It was said that if you received the last lash of 40 lashes, that was the one that would put you to death. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. Can you imagine being stranded in the ocean? All for the cause and work of Christ as a missionary. Look at verse 26. I have been in frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardships and many sleepless nights in starvation and thirst, often hungry. Oh, Lord, help us. Right. And cold without enough clothing and such from and apart from such external things. There's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And this dude's over here in our text today going, we do not lose heart. Honesty here. I think I would have lost heart. I mean, don't you, man, you go through this. So I, I would have lost heart. Doesn't it kind of make our suffering look kind of low and silly compared to what this dude's suffering? Now, let's do the, the last one, which I think this is probably the worst. Look in chapter 12. In verse 7 through 9. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. So to keep Paul humble, in a humble position, pro-emptive discipline for the glory of God and his good, he says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of who? Of who? Satan. To torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. It was so bad, look in verse 8, that I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. Lord, let this be gone. Paul, the apostle, who could lay hands and God would use that to heal others, couldn't heal himself. God had sovereignly decreed for this thorn in the flesh to come after him so that it would keep him in a position of weakness to depend on the strength of Christ. He says in verse 9, God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God says, won't take it from you. Going to leave that thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan. Can you imagine? So let's now suck all that in and go back to our text today of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. Since we have this mercy, as we have received... As, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose... What does he say? Heart. How can he say that after all those things? Doesn't make sense. But it kind of does make sense. And here's why it makes sense. Paul was able to not lose heart because he knew something unique. He knew the what. He knew the what. He didn't have the what problem. We have a problem. It's called the what problem. What is the what problem? It's not a new Disney movie, right? It's the what problem? That oftentimes in life when we lose heart, we have lost sight of the gospel. We have lost sight of the good news. We have a what problem. We don't, we don't know the what anymore. We're not centered back on the good news. So all that he goes through, and then look in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, we do not lose heart. Why does he not lose heart? Go back up to verse 18. But we all, with unveiled faces, behold as in a mirror... The glory of the Lord. How is he not so downcast about this? Because of verse 18. The new covenant. What he has in Jesus. He's now saying, 
I look in the mirror and see the glory of the Lord. He has come to salvation. God has saved him. There is no veil over his face. There's no covering. He clearly sees who Jesus is. He clearly has a relationship with the Lord. He clearly has the Holy Spirit living in him. This is how he doesn't lose heart. He doesn't negate the hard times. It's just he knows the what. He, he doesn't have the what problem. He's able to keep revisiting. He knows the what that he has in Christ. He realizes that he is beholding Christ. Christ has given himself to him. And keep reading in verse 18. And we are, not only that, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. He says, I'm, I don't lose heart because there's a transformation that every little thing that happens in my life is helping me to conform to his image a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. I think sometimes we forget this idea that God is doing a work of sanctification in our life. He is setting us apart from sin unto himself. And so there's this gradual growth in Christ that we're doing. It's called sanctification. It's a transformation in verse 18 into the same image from glory to glory. Why does he not lose heart? Because every day he's grown closer to the Lord. Every day it's less of him, more of Christ. Every weakness is another opportunity to rely on God's strength. Every day is another opportunity to revisit the good news of the gospel. By the way, just a side note. This is how growth in Christ works. Growth in Christ is not immediate. If you've come to Christ and you think I should be done instantly, I would say, man, that, that's not how it typically works in the scripture. Now, when you come to Christ, you're a new creation in Christ. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But there is a progression that happens. A progression. Now, by the way, this will also kind of help you. And this probably is, hits none of us in here. But have you, ever, have you ever been frustrated by the sanctification process of others, right? I mean, others in our lives, right? Our family members, our friends. I mean, I know, I know there's no wives in our church that have ever been frustrated with the sanctification process of their husbands, right? Or there's never been a husband that's been like that, or no, no one's ever been like that with their kids, right? Here's what I love. Sometimes we have this, I love what God teaches here. Because sometimes in the relationships in life that you have, you get so frustrated thinking they should already be at some moment, right? But what we got to really focus on is that God is doing a work of transformation. And that transformation is a process. And what we often want is everybody to just be perfect right now around us. Everybody to be perfect right now. And God has a process of conforming us to his image through a process of transformation from glory to glory. So Paul doesn't lose heart because there's a transformation process. He knows the what of verse 18. What, why do I not lose heart? Because I know what I have in Christ. I've been given Christ. The, I have an unveiled face now. There's no, I now know Christ. I can see clearly who Christ is. Christ has saved him. Not only that, he, he is being transformed in his image from glory to glory. It's progressive. And not only that, look at the end of verse 18. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. He knows that the Spirit of God is working in him, transforming him. This is the wonder of being a believer in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And as we put our nose in the book, as we put ourselves in accountable, God-honoring community, God uses these things together with the Spirit of God and drives us further into conforming to his image. All of life is about conforming to his image. Now go down to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when you see a therefore, like J. Vern McGee would always say, the old preacher, he would say, whenever there's a therefore, ask, 
what is the therefore therefore, right? So the therefore is saying as a result of verse 18, therefore, in verse chapter 4, verse 1, since we have this ministry. Now, the ministry he's talking about is really his. That's what he's having to defend. But he says this. As a result of this, this ministry that I have, I have received mercy. And the mercy he's talking about is the mercy that Paul... I mean, we do understand Paul wasn't doing good things when God saved him, right? And then called him. He wasn't on a great path. He was actually persecuting Christians. And he says, as a result of God's mercy on me, we're not losing heart. So here's a really interesting thing. All that Paul went through, he doesn't lose heart because of the mercy of God delivered to him at salvation. Because the veil has been taken off his eyes. He can see clearly who Christ is because of his salvation. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, is doing a transforming in his life, into his image, that even the weaknesses of life and the struggles of life are making him more dependent on the Lord. And as a result of that, he can say in chapter 4, verse 1, we don't lose heart. He knows the, he's got the what problem pegged right here. A lot of times in life, I think we just don't revisit what what God has done in our life and what he is doing. We don't we call this sometimes revisiting and rehearsing the gospel. For instance, when we get into sin, a lot of times what we want to do is give up because we think part of being a Christian is you're you're all the time perfect. Right now, there's a striving of perfection as a result of of loving and obedience, but we're not ever going to nail it. But one of the, the things about revisiting the gospel is when we do fall and we do sin. We don't look at it as an opportunity to just cast Christ off. We look at it as an opportunity to go, here's another chance to repent. Here's a part of my life that's not been given over. Let me confess my sin, confess it to others, offer the restitution to others that, 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 that God would call for to honor him. And now here's a chance to pursue Christ again. Every day is a fresh start with new fresh starts. But when a person does that, they find themselves revisiting the gospel. Revisiting the idea that the Spirit of God is inside you. And the most normal thing that, that, that can happen is this transformation. Even sometimes in our, my own life, there are idols of my heart that I just don't know are there. Sometimes I don't know I'm an idol factory. And sometimes in life, it's, it's like until that sin gets exposed, you don't know it's there at times. But when it does get exposed, it hurts. But when you can revisit the good news of the gospel, you kind of take joy in that exposure, right? You take joy in that because you can say, now I know. Now, God, there's a part of my soul that hasn't been given over to you. Now, God, you've identified and I didn't know the idol was there until it gets squeezed. Sometimes you just don't know. So I love that as a result of the good news of the gospel and what God has done, he says, I don't lose heart. Have you lost heart today? Have you lost heart? Do you feel not enthusiastic for the Lord? Tired, ready to give up, ready to kind of go, man, I'm just tired of this Jesus stuff. I'm just tired, tired of hanging in there, not going to do anymore. Have you lost heart? Well, then, friend, here would be my great encouragement. Revisit the good news of the gospel if you've lost heart. You've got to revisit it. Every day you've got to revisit it. This is what he's doing in the text. Man, when was the last time you took a... A re a re look at when you came to Christ. Have, I mean, sometimes you need to have some stake time, right? What is stake time? This is where you revisit where you put that stake in the ground of coming to Christ and go, wait a minute, 
I've given myself to him. It's steak time. I mean, I love the earthly S-T-E-A-K steak time, but I'm talking about the steak time of when did I come to Christ? Let me remember. Let me remember what Christ has done. I love that the cure for the losing of heart, he revisits what he has in Christ. We forget it. And we have short memories, don't we? Man, we have short memories. Don't we have short This is, I think, the most frustrating thing of growing older, right, is I feel like I forget more than I learn. I feel like everything I've learned, I just keep forgetting. And I have a short memory. I have a really short memory. I hate that. So, but here's the positive part of it. Every day, we are desperate to revisit what God has done in our life. What he has done in the gospel. What he is, how he's transforming us into his image. Every day we are dependent on the spirit. We keep going back to the spirit for help. We keep going back to the word and saying, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I'm, I'm reading your word. I need you to shine light on this word. I, I need this word to come off the pages into my soul and to transform me today. I need this. And then not only that, we're in verse one, we're going back and recalling the mercy of God that we've received. As I've grown in Christ through the years, I, I don't think today I'm so deserving of salvation. I can tell you this. When I first became a follower, I knew I was bad. But there was, it, there was small parts of me that kind of thought, you know, I'm, I'm still not the worst of people. I'm so glad that you saved me, though. But I know I'm bad, but I'm not the worst. But as I've grown through the years and grown conform more to the image of Christ, I can tell you today, Although I may not, I'm not sinning like I did at 16 when I became a follower or 17 or 18, the same magnitude. I don't think I'm any better off as far as when I look at the holiness of God and, and the wretchedness of my own sin. I, I only see myself as even more of a violator. And then I see him as more precious. His grace is even that more precious in my life. And you know what happens? I don't lose heart as easy. I don't lose heart as easy. Have you lost heart today? Have you just have no enthusiasm for the Lord? Are you discouraged? You're tired? You're ready to give up? I mean, we'll give up with a lot less than what Paul went through. But we'll give up. I mean, we could, we could be driving down the road and a rock hit our windshield. We just want to give up that day. Like, that's it. I'm going home. Give it all up. Now, not only does it do something for us, but it also does some other things in our life. So... Look at the ethical results in verse 2. When, when we don't lose heart as a result of the revisit of the gospel we see in verse 18 in chapter 4, verse 1. Here's some ethical things that happen in our life. Some ethical results. Now, by the way, just kind of staying with the text of what Paul's trying to do. The false teachers have been saying some stuff about Paul. And Paul's defending himself for the good of, glory of God and the good of the Corinthians. So... The things that he mentions here are really are specifically things that they were doing, that they were accusing him of doing, and he's now making a defense and saying, as a result of, of, of Christ and what he's doing in my life, uh, I actually don't do it. These accusations, they're not true. You know, I have found this. This isn't always across the board. But I did notice this, especially coming from a strong fundamentalist background, is that sometimes I noticed that some of the people who were hardest on, on particular types of sin... We're hard on those particular types of sins sometimes because in the shadows of their life, they were in those same kind of sins. Are y'all tracking what I'm saying here, right? Like, I always wondered sometimes when some people would get so just engrossed in what someone else was doing, 
find that sometimes they were actually doing that same thing. And that was the only way they could deal with a guilty conscience was to blame shift it onto someone else. That's free. Verse 2, look at some things that Paul says as a result of this good news of the gospel, what's happened. In verse 2, he says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. We've renounced the hidden things of shame. So here's some of the ethical things that have happened now. You know, what's, what's interesting is the false teachers had all these hidden things of shame in their life. All these sinful, wicked things they were doing. And they were hiding it and they were ashamed of it because you'll never confess sin if you don't know Christ has forgiven you. Like, why can you confess sin? Because Christ has forgiven you. Why would a person blame shift and hide sin? Because they're not really sure of Christ's forgiveness. So he says this, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. The false teachers, they have all these shameful things in their life. And you know it, Corinthians, you know it. But our life, there's nothing hidden in my life. In fact, his life was so clear and clean before the Lord that at the very end of this verse, he says this, we are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He says, I got nothing to hide from you, Corinthians. They're saying that I've, I've been doing things that are deceitful and wrong. I've got nothing shameful. Not hiding anything. By the way, here's extra, once again. Renouncing the hidden things of shame. You know what I found sometimes? When we will not confess sin. Like, I'm just taking inventory of our lives. When was the last time we actually said that dreaded word to somebody? I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? In fact, I do this, parents. I dare you to do this. Go to your kids and say, has dad ever confessed his sin to you? Has he ever asked for forgiveness? You know, I know so many people that have said, I've never heard my parents ask for forgiveness. Now, we may use the word like I apologize, which honestly, that's not really a good word. That's a legal word of defense. Or I'm sorry. That's really, that's really not the full biblical repentance. There's this idea. And by the way, if you've ever done it, try to do it. If you, when you say, I've sinned against God and sinned against you, that is so hurtful. I mean, that just hurts. I mean, I mean just try it sometime. It, it's even hard enough to just say in a mirror alone. He says, I, we've renounced the hidden things of shame. Why would a person not confess their sin? Why would they live in the hidden darkness of their sin? Because they're not convinced of verse 18 and verse, chapter 4, verse 1. They're not beholding the face of God. They're not looking, being transformed by what Christ is doing. They're not walking in the Spirit. It is not normal to stay in the shadows of deceitful things. The false teachers were doing that. Paul wasn't. Now for us, we're not even to do that. Now, look at the next thing. By the way, this is the natural thing. When we're not walking in a gospel centrality in life, we will naturally try to hide out in secret sin. Things that are shameful. Now look, keep looking in verse 2. Not walking in craftiness. Craftiness. Let me give you another word. Because sometimes craftiness isn't a word we use a lot. Um, well, we kind of do crafty, right? If you're thinking of like making something. But it has the idea more of trickery. Like tricking. We do not walk in a lifestyle of trickery. So the false apostles, false teachers in Corinth who have been really talking bad about Paul's ministry to them, they were crafty in what they did. They were calculated. They manipulated the people. They manipulated people for money, for their own, for their own profit. The way they taught, they taught in such a way to downplay Paul's ministry because as 
I don't know if you remember, but how much did Paul take from them for doing the ministry he did? Nothing, right? That they had to find some way to trick these Corinthians and to go, what the Apostle Paul has told you is bad, what we have to tell you is better. And they were coming in with some tricky doctrines. One doctrine they were doing that was tricky was, was what was called Judaism, which would be, yes, you're saved by faith, but you're also saved by doing these certain things in the law of Moses that earn your salvation. So, yeah, trust in Jesus, but also you need to be circumcised. Trust in Jesus, but also do this. That was this Judaism kind of thing. But then there was this also, they had Gentiles there who didn't really, that really wasn't their bag, but they loved mysticism. They loved secret knowledge. So they also had these false teachers that would come in and go, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to kind of climb to this certain mystical level. And if you pay more, I can help you understand this mystical level, right? Isn't that convenient? This kind of secret, this knowledge, right? And so these false teachers were doing all these kind of shifty things. They were trying to trick them. And Paul says, that's not how we operate. That's how they're operating. But I also say this. Let's make an application for our life. When we're living out chapter uh, verse 18 and chapter 4 verse 1, we realize what we have in the gospel. We don't have to trick people even in our own life to get what we want anymore. Have you ever noticed sometimes in life that we just try to manipulate people to get what we want? Let me say this again. You ever notice sometimes we try to manipulate people to get what we want? This is part of a gospel life. You no longer focus on tricking people to get what you want. That's what the false teachers did. That's what they accused Paul of doing. But in Christ, when we know the the what, when we know the what of verse 18, we don't trick people anymore. We don't try to do crafty things to get people to do what we want. And not only that, look in verse 2. We don't adulterate the word of God. What does it mean to adulterate the word of God? It means to falsify, deceit, distort, now, John MacArthur, in his um, commentary, mentions that in the extra-biblical sources, it means adding, the inferior, adding inferior ingredients, right? Adding something extra. What were the false teachers doing? They were adding false things to the gospel message. The Judaizers were adding this obedience to the law that, that would earn you salvation. The, uh, the mystics that were really hitting the Gentiles were adding this secret knowledge, right? But they were adding things to God's word... That would So that God's word would say the things they wanted it to say. Say it again. They were adding things, adding things to God's word so that it would say the things they wanted, to, they wanted it to say. So they could get from people what they wanted. Now, that's what the false teachers are doing. Paul was making defense saying, that's not what we're doing. In fact, when you read Corinthians, you find that Paul's message to them was very, very simple straightforward. It, it didn't have the eloquence that the Gentiles looked for. It didn't have all the legalism that the Jews looked for. It was bold, but straightforward. But it even wasn't with a lot of pizzazz, according to them. He did not adulterate the word of God. I'll just, I'll show this to you in a couple places, just so you kind of have it. Um, we're in Second Corinthians, so do this. Turn over to First Corinthians. Let me show this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just so you kind of know how did Paul deliver his, the good news of the gospel to the Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians. You just turn one book over. He says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not in wisdom of word, so that the cross of Christ will not be made empty. 
those who were adulterating the word of God tried to add certain theatrical elements and stuff to kind of make it look to see more appealing. Paul's like, no, I had simple words. I didn't want to distract from the simplicity of the cross. I, I want you to understand the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Go to chapter 2 of verse 1 through 2 of 1 Corinthians. He said this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of word or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had very simple words for them. He did not adulterate the word of God. He did not add inferior ingredients to try to make it say what he wanted to say so he could get something from them. All he wanted to give to them was Jesus. These false teachers weren't doing that. They were adding things to God's word because honestly, it made the people like their messages more. And if the people like the messages more, what do you have the great opportunity to get? Does anybody know? Get some money. That's how it worked, right? Isn't it? Now, are y'all shocked that so many things in life are motivated by money? Can I see a shocked look on your face? Like, I can't believe it. You mean, you mean the love of money actually motivates people? Yeah, I know it's crazy. I mean, I know none of us are going to wake up tomorrow and think about money and let it dominate our whole entire day. That does not apply to us. But I'm telling you, it's out there. For those of you that are guests, I sometimes I'm sarcastic, right? It's a love language. I think it's a love language of most of our church. All right. Second Corinthians. Go over to Second Corinthians and look in Second Corinthians. And go to chapter 10, verse 10. Second Corinthians 10, verse 10. Notice what they had to say, what was said about Paul's presence when he was with them. Chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is weak and his words contemptible. So Paul came in and preached to the Corinthians a simple, straightforward, bold, no frills. This is the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. The false teachers... They came up with all sorts of mystical interpretations that would that were fanciful and would keep you kind of, you know, kind of dialed in a little bit more. The Judaizers would talk about how you would add to add to grace. And they had all these things because ultimately it was really just operated by money. Professional speakers back then that day, that's you can make really great money and great cash by just your oratory skills. Paul says, I didn't try to do any of that kind of stuff. In fact, you knew it. I tried to because what was Paul trying to do? He didn't want to adulterate the word of God. He didn't want to add something to God's word. He wanted them to understand what has God said about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. What has God said about the gospel message? Now go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So in the text, he's getting against the false teachers. He's defending that he didn't do this. But let's go to our own application of life. I think this is saying we have to be careful of as Christians. Bless our hearts, guys. The great thing about our day and time where we're living, you can get more discipleship material than ever before, right? If you got one of these bad boys, actually that was, where's it at? I almost had a heart attack. I lost my phone. Oh, just love it so much. I mean, right now I could pull up podcasts. I've got a Logos Bible app. I've got... Tons of books on my Kindle. I've got an Audible. Right? I mean, I can just pull up stuff right now, right? I'm living in a day when I can grab more data than ever before. 
But here's the danger. A lot of that is adulterated. Let's be honest with you. A lot of it's adulterated. And it will fly under the banner of Christianity. But when you look and strip it down, it really makes man king. It makes much of man. It makes little of God's glory. It makes little of the gospel. In the end, it's actually leading people astray. Let me give you an example. Does it look like people in America who are Christians love Jesus more than they did 10 years ago? Do you think that? But we have more discipleship material than we've ever had. We've got more stuff at our fingertips. What's the problem? A lot of it's just adulterated. It, it, it's not adultery. It's adulterated. It is things, extra ingredients have been added. In the end, it is pulled away from God's true intent. And it has diluted things. And sometimes you can't even tell a pagan from a Christian anymore. So Paul says, that's not us. We've not done those things. Now, keep looking in chapter 2. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 2 of chapter 4. He says this. But by the manifestation of the truth. Ah, now that's what's good. Paul says, hey, none of those things that they say are true of us are true of us. But we have delivered to you the truth of God. So much have we delivered the truth of God to you that he can say this in the end of verse 2. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He can say, in the sight of God, what we told you was true. It wasn't adulterated. It wasn't a lie. There was no sh- we, were, we weren't hiding in the darkness. We weren't being tricky and crafty with anything we've told you. So, but, but here's the deal. Paul could do verse 2 because he had chapter 3, verse 18. Right? You don't, get to, you don't get to live this kind of life in verse 2 if verse 18 is not there. And here's the deal. When a person loses heart, they do more than get discouraged. They climb into sin. Let me say this again. When a person loses heart, they'll get more than discouraged. They'll get that. But they'll also start climbing into sin. Then they'll start to justify sin by adulterating then they'll start to justify it more by being crafty about it. Then they'll start to justify it more by putting it in the shadows of darkness in their life with no confession. This is what happens. You know what happens when, when this happens? They lose heart. I've been in ministry over two decades now. I have seen this. At times I think I've, at times I've felt it in my own life. Lose heart. Now, this is not Paul. Now, we have seen the results of, of, verse, of chapter 3, verse 18. We see the ethical results in his life. Now look in verse 3. Here's the witnessing results. By the way, just a side note. If we lose heart, not only do we start to climb into sin in our life, but guess what we also stop doing? We stop delivering the gospel to people, right? Someone said this to me years ago, and it was so profound. I mean, I had already taken a couple, actually... Actually, Bible college classes on evangelism, and this was never said. This was something. This was someone who was way far from the Lord, but they were just kind of attending the church that I was working in. And I said this phrase. I said, "Man, I, sometimes I can't understand why people don't witness and tell people about the Lord." And the guy said, "Oh, that's simple." And he said, "It's because they sin so much they 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 don't want to do it. Right? They're they're embarrassed." And I don't know why, but that was like a light bulb moment in my in my mind. I was just kind of like, "Whoa!" I don't even. I mean, just, you know, I never even thought about that category. So here's what happens. When we live in our own sin and don't rehearse the gospel, verse 3 will start to happen and we'll veil our gospel. Paul says in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, I want you to catch something. Their accusation to him was the gospel is veiled by all of your unethical things that you're doing in verse 2. Paul says, no, actually, you're veiling the gospel by your adulterating it, by your trickery, by your the hidden things of darkness. You're actually veiling it. We're not veiling it. We're actually on full display. And if it is veiled, it's only because someone's lost, right? Because lost people don't make themselves saved. Jesus saves them, right? So they're lost. Because they, they're lost not because of anything we've done, but in the end, Paul says this, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Paul says, our gospel was so simple, straightforward, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I would say this, if I could add some words of thought here, it was as simple as a child could understand it, right? And he's saying, if it's veiled, that's just because God has not opened their heart and minds. The light of the gospel is not shown in. But we have clearly delivered it. So if it's veiled, it's not veiled from an, a delivering the message. It's veiled because those who hear are perishing. Those who hear are loving the God of this world. Look in verse 4. He says this in verse 4. In whose case the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbeliever, unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. These Judaizers and mystic Gentile teachers were saying, his gospel is veiled. Paul is saying like, no, my gospel is simple, straightforward. I declared to you the message of Christ. You're the ones actually murking, making this whole thing murky. And then Paul says, the reason people haven't come to Christ is not because of what we've done. It's because of what you've done and now... You've contributed to what's already there. The God of this age, uh, that Satan, is blinding the minds of unbelievers so that they don't see the light of the glory of God. They, um, now, you look at this and you go, hmm, does that mean Satan has absolute sovereign autonomy and control over everything that happens? No. Why can I say that? For a lot of reasons, but let's just stay in the text. Who's writing this? Sunday school answer. Paul, right? Okay. Now, does anybody remember what Paul used to do? Right? So Paul's verse 4. Right? This was his life before, right? This is Paul. Does anybody remember what happened on the Damascus Road? The Lord met him. Now look in verse 6. Paul says this. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So don't read verse 4 and go, well, all unbelievers, there's no hope for them. No, there is hope, and he's called Jesus. And how much hope is there? Well, the God who created everything, the God who brought light out of darkness, is the same God that has brought the light of Jesus Christ into this life. The same God who saved Paul, who was, who was walking in verse 4. Paul was obeying the God of this age. By the way, he was super religious while he did it as well. That God shone the light. Of Jesus onto Paul's life. And verse 6 now is a, re- a reality in Paul's life. The glory of God in the face of Christ. So, don't think to yourself that something can't happen here. Oh no. Something can happen. And Paul's letting them know, hey listen, you veiled the gospel. We haven't veiled the gospel. And now the God of this age has been given more space. More walking room, more cash in his pocket to do destruction by how you have adulterated the gospel. But that's not how we've delivered it to you. In verse 5, look at it. For we do not preach ourselves. Guess who preached themselves? 
the false preachers. They, it was all about their glory. It was all about them, right? He says, that's not what we did when we came to you. We didn't try to make much of ourselves. Who did we make much of? But Jesus, our Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. Paul says, we, we were there. We taught you about Jesus, and we were servants to you for the glory of God and your good. And now, verse 6, God has said, light shall shine out of darkness, and the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul said, God, God took, took us, took me from the walking in the, walking by the God of this age, having a blinded mind now to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful at 16, God did that for me. He saved me. And I want to tell you this here this morning. The thing that you've got to nail down, have a stake time in life. I think sometimes we forgot that. If you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and King, if you've never trusted him as Savior, what a great day to put a stake in the ground. To put a S-T-A-K-E, to put a stake, to put it down. Hopefully I spelled that right. I'm half dyslexic, right? Put it in the ground. I just thought, man, I shouldn't spell in front of people. Put a stake in the ground today, right? Put it there. If you've not asked Christ to be your Lord and King, maybe this is the day Lord is, the Lord is drawing to you. By the way, I can't make you do that. You would only do that if God was drawing you to himself. And the very fact if you're asking yourself, have I done that? Or, man, I, I want to do that. Or, like, okay, man, that's resonating with my soul. That's God coming after you. I love that at age 16, that's what he did for me. I couldn't shake it. I was reading the book of Romans. Y'all know this. I know y'all know this story. But it's like all of a sudden I realized my sin, his righteousness. I deserve judgment. He took judgment for me. The great substitution happened. My sin for his righteousness, the glorious exchange, we call it, on, on my parents' tan couch. I wish I could find a picture of it someday, right? Just so I can remember, you know, just so I could see it again. I remember it's like, it was like that light bulb moment. That was my stake in the ground. Haven't turned back since. Now, it hasn't been perfect. It's been up and down, but it's been kind of like a Tesla stock, right? And, you know, if you look at a Tesla stock for one week, you might get kind of discouraged, Right? But if you look at it over the long trajectory, it's actually growing and growing and growing and growing. This is how God has designed life. But we'll never get to, we'll never live in it if we don't have chapter 3, verse 18. We don't have that there. So, have you lost heart? Have you lost heart today? Maybe it's time to rehearse the gospel message. Maybe it's time to be in relationships where that can be actually rehearsed. Like if you're a man, I would say this. We've got many things where you can fellowship and have some rehearsal. Like Tuesday morning, we're going to gather, have a men's theology study. Man, I would encourage all of our men to be a part of that. There's things that our ladies have here that you can be a part of. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, with the Word and the Spirit and His people, you have a great opportunity to not lose heart and to get encouraged. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm scared for anybody that's online that's there, not by, not by God's providence. Sometimes you're there because you're sick, you're out of town, God's providence. But I fear for people who have not come back and gathered with God's people. And I fear, I'm telling you, I fear for people if their exposure to God's church is the same equivalent of attending a movie theater experience, right? You come in the back, you sit, you sing, you do, you know, then you go out when the production is done. That's what I love about our church. There's this kind of idea that not only do we need to hear from, from like the word of God, not only do we need to sing and pray, but we need to talk to each other. We need to encourage each other. We're discouraged. 
We sometimes may need correction. Sometimes we may need to confess sin to each other. Then there's these body elements that, that we actually need. And why do we need that? We need it because we are so easy to lose heart. I've never met a person who's thriving in Christ, who has nothing to do with the body of Christ, nothing to do with the word of God, nothing to do with active discipleship. Those people lose heart so easy. So maybe that's us, some of us today. We're at verse 18. We need to rehearse and get back to the basics here. But maybe somebody is here today, and maybe you realize that your, your eyes have been blinded by the God of this age. Jesus is not your Lord and King. You have not bowed the knee to him. You have not trusted him as Christ, as Lord and Savior. And if that's you, today's a great day to put the stake in the ground. I want to help you with it, right? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I'm not going to manipulate I'm not going to, or anything like that. I don't believe in that. But I do want to do this. Sometimes, sometimes it's just helpful that if someone would pray that prayer of salvation and that you pray it in your own soul to the Lord. And if you mean it and you understand it, you mean it, God's grace, that's how you come. That's how you come to the Lord. The Bible says that whoever, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to lead you in a prayer if you don't know Christ as Savior. It goes like this. This is similar to what my prayer was. When I came to Christ, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your law. I know that I deserve your judgment. I deserve hell. I, it's what's coming for me. Thank you that, you that you lived a perfect life that I can't live. Thank you that you offer that perfect life in exchange for my sinful life. I trust you as my Lord and King. Come into my life, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and live inside of me. Help me to walk with you and obey you and delight in you and glorify you. Transform me, Jesus. In your name, amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, I would challenge you today. You've got to tell a Christian about it so they can help you take the next step. They can help you understand what God wants you to do next, following him in believer's baptism. Following him in, in the commands of Scripture. Actually understanding how to read Scripture. What does it look like to be in fellowship? That's what God wants. Would you stand together? We're going to close off and pray. We're going to close off and sing. And then we'll have some announcements. And then we're going to have a time of eating and, and ministry to each other. Um, this is the time. I, I, I love this part, guys. But to be honest with you, I love the ministry that you get to do to the body. That actually, this is my favorite time. I get to kind of step off stage. And I just get to be one of the sheep for a little bit. Right? I, I just really enjoy it. Can I pray for you all once more, and then we're going to do this. We're going to have our time of singing for the Lord. May what we talked about today, Father, only you can deliver your word where it pierces the heart. And God, would you do that? Some of us need it. And as we're singing this song, may once again this message be imprinted. We need this so that, we, that, that, so that some could come to Christ, but then some could rehearse Christ. We need to rehearse it. We need to come back to the simplicity of the gospel message. Help us. We need it. And God's people said, amen.